everybody, it's Mike Burkholder with Contra Costa News, a podcast for the people and businesses of Contra Costa County. I'm here with Mike Barbanica, Antioch City Council member and candidate for Contra Costa County Board of Supervisors. I'm just going to go with Mike B. Squared today. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Good just to be a, here. Just a stupid little thing to start it off. MB squared. There you go. Thanks um, for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, we survived Stormageddon. We did. We did. Yeah, we were out most of the night last night picking signs back up, and uh, I'll be back out there today doing the same thing. Did anybody's stand out more than yours? Uh, did some stay up, some stay down? Who did it the best? You know, we 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 fared pretty well, I would say. We didn't lose as many as I thought we were going to lose. But, man, you get out there and you're picking these signs up. They're like a sail. You know, they're four by eight. You get a 40-mile, 50-mile-an-hour wind gust. It, it's, you're it paragliding. Yeah, you were. You were. We were out uh, most of the night last night doing that. So before we get into this, I, I just have one question for Okay. Can I be a fly on the wall of your closed session items in the city of Antioch? <laughs> I would just love to be in there and listen to the craziness that you guys probably discuss. I've had so many people ask me that over the last three years, asking, you know, how is closed session? What goes on in there? And, and I tell people the same question. I can't discuss closed session, obviously, but that request has come so many times of people asking me, is there any way we can find out what it is actually said in there? And I say, unfortunately, the answer is nope. I wish I could, but I can't. But fortunately, you still got your hair. You haven't pulled it all out yet. It, it, exactly. Yes, yes. I, it's a little more gray than it was when I took office three years ago. But, you know, it's uh, I got one year left in this, and, and my hopes is to take that message to a county level. Speaking of that, so given everything you've gone with Antioch, um, and the craziness, the rhetoric, all that, just put that aside, why do you actually want to go to the county and continue in politics? So it's not about, you know, I get the question all the time of, it's often three two three two three two or two three two three, <clears throat> and sometimes it is. Sometimes we see a three two vote or a two three vote, but it's more about continuing on. It's like when I was in police work. I was a cop for twenty one years. I retired from Pittsburgh PD. Loved every minute of it, serving the community, serving the public, and that's really what it's all about. It's not about just winning that specific vote. Now, granted, would I love to win that vote? Absolutely, I would. But we continue to press on. And I feel we can take our message of public safety, uh, getting homeless housed and off the street, the blight that we're seeing out there, we can take this message to a county level and have much more of an impact than we than we are at a city level. Well, I don't think Antioch is being that successful. And that's not due to you or Lori, but it's a marginalized three to two obvious vote putting in some funding when it comes to homelessness. We just had the report last week. You had 82% success rate, you guys. You're leaders in the state, but there's no meat and potatoes. I've asked, after that meeting, I made a request to the city manager's office for me to see an accounting of this 82% that is being claimed. If we're at 82%, wonderful. However, I want to see what is the criteria, and I don't want to see it on percentages. I want to see the number of people that have come through the door, the number of people that have been placed, and along those lines, how were they placed? What is the criteria for success you're using to come to this 82%? I want to see the budget. It was mentioned while we were in that meeting 
about buying furniture and paying for down payments. Now, I know there are programs, charity programs out there that do this. I want to see, is this money coming from Taxpayer City of Antioch? Or how is this is Or nonprofits, which is fine. Right, exactly. But break it out. <clears throat> break it out and let the it, total transparency. Let the voters that are paying for this, the residents that are paying for this, the community that's paying for this, let them see what the true numbers are and where it's all coming from. Yeah, because I, I want to see also, <clears throat> like, how are you picking who goes into Opportunity Village? Mm-hmm. Because I want to know if staff or the consultants are cherry-picking the more easier cases, and then the harder ones are going to Delta Landing somewhere else. Because you saw Pittsburgh had the 74% success and then Martinez will report out Wednesday like a 67% success rate. So how Antioch's doing it? Dude, if you guys hit 82%, cool, double down. Great. Let's see the numbers, though. But let's let's see, how. see the behind-the-scenes numbers. You know, <clears throat> when I it was no secret that I was opposed to the executive end being converted. That was taxpayer money. The state of California had already made a purchase of Motel 6 to turn it into bridged housing with wraparound services. And I went and I toured that facility and it's a good facility. However, when we were doing this and we were looking at spending millions and millions of dollars of local taxpayer money for the executive in my view on it was we could reserve a block of rooms at motel six Delta landing for a much cheaper rate. And I went and I met with the executive director from the County and I said, is this possible to do this? And she said, it absolutely is possible. In a meeting, I was on a, the uh, ad hoc committee at the time. I think it was an ad hoc committee. It was one of the committees, but it was for unhoused residents. I went and I met in that meeting and spoke with the city manager at the time. Uh, the mayor was also on that committee. And there were a couple other folks in the room at the time that that I had made this request. And what I wanted to do was to bring that to life specifically for the city of Antioch. So in other words, we had a block of rooms that we negotiated were set aside for us. You had one. We had. Somehow it stopped. Somehow that went away. (laughs) And my understanding at the time when I voted for this or pushed for this was that we could run them both simultaneously. So we had these rooms that were set aside. It was costing us $52 a night. That's it, $52 a night. And we were only paying for those rooms as they were being used. Plus the services were there. The services were already there. The wraparound services were there. So we weren't spending millions and millions and millions of dollars on a hotel that had to be retrofitted and new, you know, all of the things that had to be done with, with the hotel. This was a state-owned facility funded by the county, and we had a block of room set aside that at any given time, with the wraparound services, we could use for $52 a night. What a deal that was for our taxpayers. Somehow, that went away. I never voted for that to go away. I never instructed anybody that I wanted that to go away. I was pushing for that. So, and, and just to throw this out there, and, and this kind of circles back to where I was going with this, is at that meeting, you had council members Torres Walker and Ogerchuk also say, hey, you guys didn't bring this back to vote on. It's not just you. It's like the whole council, just three or four of them had no clue who made where the decision. Where did it go? Who made that decision and where did it go? Because when 
I brought that to the committee that I was on. It was talked about in that meeting. We held that meeting at the uh, water park facility on Lone Tree. And not at the water park, but in the city buildings there. We were in a conference room. And I said, we can run this simultaneous if you are going to, and I was talking to the mayor at the time, if you are going to bring the executive in here, we can run this as well and serve more people. Now, $52 a night, If even if we max that out, do the math on it. It is a much more, it's much more financially advantageous for our voters for our residents, for our our community, that they're paying $52 a night as opposed to millions of dollars of taxpayer money going towards that hotel. And you're getting the data. <laughs> and we're getting the data, exactly. And the wraparound services are there. Those are the types of things at a county level that I want to bring. At a county level, we can tackle homelessness. And let me tell you what I started doing in, in 2007. I took my first family that I was working with. Half the family had come from Mexico. Uh, the father was born and raised here, but went back and forth because he had family also sure. in Mexico. And they were facing homelessness. So when I was retiring from the police department, I ended up taking my retirement, rolled it out, and ended up because they were literally going to be on the streets, and I know them very well, so we found a, a little place to buy. We used my retirement money to purchase that. And they stayed there about two and a half years. And are these the people on your website? Uh, no, this actually, this person that was facing this actually works with me until okay. uh, today. He actually <laughs> works in the company today and helps me place other people. Oh, cool. So what we did was we started with that, just that one family. And my wife and I sat down and talked about it and said, you know, we can actually take this from a private sector perspective and start partnering with nonprofits and government uh, and, and government agencies, HUD, for example, county housing, VA, and start moving people into homes. As of today, last night, you saw the rainstorm we had and the windstorm we had last night. My wife and I have 569 people with a roof over their head last night that are in this program that we've been building since 2007. Very nice. Why could we not do that on a larger scale for the county? So these are the types of things that I want to bring to the county level. When we talk about Measure X money, when you look at Measure X money, Measure X is, is not going to run forever. No. I was just, I just talked to another super, uh, a county supervisor who told me, hey, 20 years, we're going to be wondering, okay, what do we do? Do we extend this? Do we go back to the voters? But if we are funding things now, and we're see we saw this the other night at our council meeting, if we're funding things now with Measure X money, we have to be really careful in the future because where is that funding going to come from when Measure X goes away or when Measure X expires? When you run a housing program like this and you partner with the VA and you partner with HUD and you partner with these different organizations that are going to be paying monthly to assist folks staying in homes, you can use Measure X money up front hopefully. Now, again, I would have to look at the criteria and talk to the attorney and so on and make sure that everything is done above board the right way. But we could use that money, hopefully, to get people off the streets and then let, a, on a federal basis, 
let that continue to be paid for every single month. I'm doing that now. You 569 are. people were off the street last night, and every week we try to build it with more and more people. I have somebody next week, a veteran, that's going to be going into one, one of the homes. When we have vets that are on the street, living on, they've served our country, they're living in cars, they're living under bridges, they're living in tents. That's an embarrassment. Oh, it's horrible. We should be ashamed of ourselves to let that happen. So I was contacted by the VA and they said, hey, we've heard what you're doing. Would you be willing to work with us? And I said, absolutely. So we started housing vets and we have another one getting ready to come up that's going to go into a place, I believe, next week. Okay, so so knowing all that, then why, and I know we should be talking about the county stuff, but this is really interesting. Antioch made the decision two years ago in a 3-2 vote to essentially lone wolf homeless solutions. Knowing the successes that you can get partnering, I mean, it kind of seems like an error now. If you go back and watch any of the meetings, I was pushing for it at a county level. Same thing with uh, many of the things that we have done here, but at a county level, and that's, again, why I want to move on to a county position because I believe I can take these and partner up with people that are in the county currently. Ken Carlson and I went to the police academy together. We've known each other since 1988. And so he's a retired uh, sergeant from Concord PD. I'm a retired lieutenant from Pittsburgh PD. Ken Carlson, like I said, we we met in the academy in 1988. He's a good we've dude. Known, yeah, he's, he's a very a good, good dude. dude. And we've known each other ever since. And I'm looking forward to the possibility of working day-to-day with him, as with all of the supervisors that are there. But I know that I, I I feel as though I certainly have an ally with Ken. Which I, which is what I can't say that you have in Antioch, because over the last two years, it's similar to what happened with Sean Wright, his final two years as mayor, where basically everything you want to do is sabotage, put on the back burner. I mean, it. how many times, you requested body cameras like 30 times, a command center, you wanted to increase the police department to 170. You wanted CHP sheriff help. You want more transparency, more reports to the public, transparency and hiring. And you get shot down at everything you request. And the most bizarre yet coolest thing is you and Tamisha Torres Walker apparently opposites attract because you guys could talk and come up with solutions. So what the hell? We do come I up with solutions. I just dropped a bomb there, so explain all that. Sure. We do come up with solutions. And... And, you know, Tamisha and I, um, we work together towards these. This, again, is what I want to bring to the county level. And you ask why I want to go on to the county level. It's public service. This is whether I I prevail on a vote or whether I don't. I'm going to continue to push forward, as I did with police body cams. I continued to push and push and push until we got them. Dash cams, same thing. Push, push, push. Emergency Operations Center. I'm going to keep pushing until we get it. And we did. And so we continue to move forward. And at a county level, how much more effective could we be at a county level, especially working with people like Ken? And you know, and again, and I'm not trying to, to discount working with any of the Board of Supervisors. I work with all of them. There's no issue there whatsoever, but I want to take what I've been doing here and pushing for here and bring it to a county level, especially when we're talking about homeless, public safety. Public safety is a huge thing for me. I spent my life devoted to public safety. Been around police work since I was two years old. 
with my mom going to work for a police department when I was a little kid. So I grew up around that environment. So I, I, I want to touch on that because I, I think it's a huge, huge benefit to have you and Ken Carlson on the Board of Supervisors together that understand law enforcement background, understand the laws. I mean, we have sideshows every yes. week. Yes. We have blight everywhere. Yes. Crime is crazy. Yes. We have actually, for the first time, Contra Costa losing residents. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad that through Measure X, the, the um, county sheriff's office got body cameras finally. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on better improving safety in the county? So we have to look at safety in, in two ways. you got to ask yourself, countywide, do you feel safe going out anywhere in the evening? Not just specific locations. You should feel safe going to dinner, going shopping, your family going out, going to dinner, going and shopping. So when we look at crimes that are being prosecuted or not prosecuted, Prop 47 had unintended consequences that I believe a lot of the voters didn't necessarily understand. When they voted for Prop 47, nobody thought- It was safe communities. Exactly. And that's how when you title something that way, and you sell something that way, you don't see the consequence at the end. And law enforcement, the law enforcement community came out against and said, this is a mistake. Many people within the law enforcement community, myself included, said this is a big mistake. Now ask yourself, how many times do you walk into a retailer and see somebody running out with a shopping cart or even walking out? They don't even need to run out because they know if they're under a certain dollar amount, Nothing's going to happen. So what we need is a commitment from our district attorney that the lower, quote unquote, lower level crimes that are the quality of life type crimes are not going to be tolerated. Now, when we're looking- But again, that's an elected official. So that's a hard one to push down. But how do we get her to see that? I mean, that's where I think the Board of Supervisors has failed is they haven't been able to get her to start prosecuting. So my view on on most things in politics is follow the money. And who controls the budget for the district attorney's office? Board of Supervisors. Okay. Well, the district attorney just got $2.3 million more on Antioch police cases that we don't even know if they're even guilty still. So I can't speak for what the current Board of Supervisors is doing, but what I can say is, is that just like I've done for the last three and a half years, just over three years. And just like I did my entire career, I'm going to hold people accountable. I've spent a career doing this. I'm not, it's not a badge of honor for me to say this, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this. And again, I don't wear this as a badge of honor. This is just, I, I look at this as this was my duty and my career. I prosecuted eight dirty cops and I believe there is no place in law enforcement or in our society for dirty cops or dirty public officials, anything of that nature whatsoever. And I believe in holding people accountable. Fair enough. And I think most 99% of the people would agree with you. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. If they, if they don't agree, then there's something wrong with them. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> it's funny because I, I get stopped at, you know, Starbucks and, you know, the Rayleigh's and Safeway and people want to sit and talk. And I love when that happens, yeah. because we, I actually sit down and we talk about the issues. Just now, before I came here, I stopped to grab a quick cup of coffee and I ended up staying for a half hour because I was talking to some folks 
that live in the community that are tired of seeing what they see and they want, they want change. Yeah. And what I want to do is come in and I truly want to start with audits. I want to know if we've spent $170 million over the last four years for unhoused residents, where is that money gone? What is our success rate? What criteria are we using to show a success rate? If it's not working, and if you drive down the street, and this is why I don't like percentage stats. When I was in school, I took a statistics class. And I will say on my last night walking out of that class, which I couldn't, you know, it, it wasn't my cup of tea, the class. But the one thing that I walked out with was you can manipulate statistics very easily. All day long. All day. And so what I want to see are what are the hard numbers? Forget about the percentages. And if you're going to say this is a success, what was the criteria that you used to determine success? And so, and that's where I want to kind of circle back to, and this has nothing to do with you, but more of the statement I just made on the DA getting the 2.3 million uh -huh. is that, you prematurely gave the DAs that money based on Antioch police and Pittsburgh police caseloads. You say you. I had nothing. Not you, yeah, but yeah. the Board of Supervisors. <laughs> I get it. And there's been no determination on the number of officers that are guilty in whatever text messaging, use of whatever it is, right? You don't know that data yet. So how could you prematurely say you need the money for this amount of cases yet? You, there's investigation still got ongoing. Well, and again, I wasn't or in am I, that. Am I just missing something? Well, I wasn't in that meeting. I, some of the things that you would consider for something of that would be, okay, how many cases do we feel that we're going to end up back in court on? What's an estimation of that? And so on. Sure. So, you know, those are the types of things that criteria that I'm sure they were looking at. Um, and, and again, I wasn't at the vote, but I can say just knowing Ken for the time that I've known Ken and uh, the law enforcement background, I'm sure those are things that I, I would assume that he looked into as well. So I can't speak for that because I was not yeah. a part of that vote at a county level, but it will be something that I will be looking at, I assure you. All right. So moving back to sideshows, um, I know you and I have talked. You've had some great ideas of, of collaboration on sideshows. What are your thoughts on reducing that? countywide? It's actually one of my priorities. I have brought multiple times now the possibility of uh, spectators being cited at sideshows, county task force, those types of things, and shot down. Shot down. <laughs> now, why could we not do that at a county level? It doesn't just, when these sideshows occur, they're roving sideshows. They just don't affect Pittsburgh or Antioch or Concord or, you know, Bay Point. They, the nights that these occur, they're often <clears throat> an organized roving sideshow that goes from city to city to city. So all of our community members that are near where we're at or around cities that we are, um, they're experiencing the same thing. So at a county level, I would like to see that addressed. I think we all would. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, one of the big things that you just put out recently was kind of a response to the Martinez Refining Company and mm -hmm. all the releases. Yes. Um, I mean, this is just my personal opinion. I think Federal's asleep at the wheel, and he's just now chair, so now he's got to get involved somehow. But, I mean, what what's your plan here? So I actually have reached out to um, two groups. 
I, I've attended, well, first off, let me back up. I've attended the Board of Supervisors meeting. I've attended the City of Martinez City Council meeting to hear from the community. I talked with people and encouraged people to talk with me outside the meeting. Same thing at the Board of Supervisors meeting. I reached out to uh, Healthy Martinez and I'm hoping for a meeting with them. I'm waiting on a call back from them. I had reached out with to them three weeks ago or so when I was actually at the Board of Supervisors meeting. But I also reached out to the refinery and had a meeting with them. And I sought out information from the county on the county inspection. So 21 incidents since November of 2022. It's alarming to the community, and I can understand why. If you were living next to the Martinez Refinery, that would be alarming to you as well. So I, I met with representatives from, from the refinery, and I told them my concern. Here is what I'm concerned with. And I, I explained to them that I also have reached out to groups within the city of Martinez that I want to meet with. And I put out a press release on this, and here's the things that, that I asked for. Flaring. Now, flaring, I got an education on flaring of what... Sometimes it's a good thing. Yeah, it, it, well, I don't know that it's it's ever good, but sometimes it's maybe not as bad as other times. When it's an unplanned flaring, that means something, generally speaking, went wrong. If all of a sudden you have flaring, something <laughs> went bad, and... Uh, in, I'm saying that sometimes occurred. you got to release the stuff so it doesn't cause a bigger problem. Exactly, and, and when I was talking with members of the refinery... Uh, that this is what they were explaining. Now, members of the refinery obviously are going to <coughs> biased. Well, they're they're gonna they're gonna back their position on it. Sure. Understandably so. I get it. As members of the community, you're gonna back their position on it. So flaring is something that we want to control. We want to reduce as much as possible. And if there is scheduled flaring for say a plant turnaround or a shutdown, we want to let the community know as fast as possible, as long as possible in advance, there is going to be flaring. Here's what it's regarding. Because when people see and hear that there's flaring, immediately the assumption is something really bad occurred. I want transparency to the public where the public understands if there is flaring, here's what caused it. And if it wasn't planned, what caused it? Was there a danger to the public? And how can we alleviate that in the future? Second one is training. Since Shell sold the plant, we've had, this is according to the refinery personnel, they've had approximately a 50% turnover rate. That's pretty big. That's a big turnover rate. And I asked them, in the refinery world, do you consider that a big turnover rate? And they said, yes, they do. So they're trying to stabilize that. But my concern is when you have a 50% turnover rate, is your training up to speed? How can you train that many people that quickly? So ongoing and advanced training and a commitment from the refinery with continued uh, advanced training for their personnel. The third one is, um, you know, when the staff is is um, handling this training and they're in every day in and out, we want the county to be able to attend that training at times, or have absolutely unrestricted access at any time to anywhere in the plant that they want to inspect. Commitment to emissions. There's a, a request out there, and there's a lawsuit that's going on right now 
uh, to install a wet gas scrubber. What I want what is the hell a, is that? a wet gas scrubber is, and it was explained to me by the refinery folks that this is essentially a, um, a scrubber or a filter and it's huge. It, it's not a filter like we would see like at home a car or, like wash? A, or bigger yeah, or bigger. And, uh, the way it was described to me and what I want regardless of the way this lawsuit turns out, whether the plants have to install a scrubber or whether they don't, that they make a commitment that their emissions will be consistent to where they had the, the scrubber or not. So in other words, if they had the, the scrubber, and I'm just making this number up, but let's say they had the, the scrubber and something was, you know, 100 parts per million with the scrubber. And I'm, again, just making that number up. I'm not a I'm not a refinery person. And let's say this lawsuit results them not having to put in this scrubber. If that's the case, I still want the commitment to that 100 parts per million or whatever that number would have been. Uh, the inspections, like I said, we talked about it. And then total transparency with releases that, especially when they're affecting the community, the community should be made aware why there, a release occurred, how it happened and what has been done to resolve that in the future, which goes back to the training side of things. What can we implement training to resolve that or stop that from occurring in the future? Yeah, and, and I just think it, it comes down to being more aggressive from the county in terms of just oversight. Yes. Um, which, I mean, now they are. Yes. But there, there still could be more done. Yes. Um. You know, you list on your website something interesting. Mm -hmm. Defending personal freedom. And okay. you, ha you have a list on your website, but I wanted you to kind of provide more depth on there because you do say um, black, brown, yellow, white, man or woman, young or gay, straight. We all deserve to live in a society that embraces our uniqueness and freedoms to choose how we live our own lives. I'm pro-choice, pro-equality, pro pro-love, and will always support residents' differing views, viewpoints, um, even if they differ than yours. Mm -hmm. And what I've seen on the councils, you've always said, let's have at least a conversation before we make any decisions. Can you just go into more depth about personal freedoms? Because right now, it's almost like the more and more laws come forward, they're just controlling so I don't believe in continually adding laws to control the public. Granted, yes, there has to be laws in place for our everyday life. But I believe that there is such a thing as government overreach with laws to control uh, our, our residents within the community. And I feel... And I have always felt this way that we should be, and this is just the way I was raised from my parents. We should be colorblind, genderblind. And that's not the politically correct, hey, I believe this, right? That is the way I was raised. And that's the way I operated in law enforcement. And after being assigned to working sexual assault, I was a sexual assault detective and interviewing victims of all ages of sexual assault. That really made me think about um, my, my thought with being pro-choice. And when you look across the table or across the room and you hold a private conversation 
with a victim, realizing what has happened to this person. It is not my place to tell them what to do with their body. That is their decision, not my decision. And that's the stance that I've, I've taken on it. Now, I have friends on both sides, friends that have come to me and said, I can't believe that you're pro-choice. And I said, look, bottom line is, who am I to tell you what to do with your body? Go talk to your doctor, go talk, make decisions that you need to make. But we need to, we need to realize that we live in a society with people that have differing points of view and I'm not going to force my point of view on you, nor should you force your point of view on me. I'll listen to your point of view. I've always taken the stance on counsel that if another council member wants to bring something back for a discussion, I think it's ridiculous that we all sit there and vote and say, yeah, I'm okay with this coming back for a discussion. What a waste of time. If another council member who's an elected official wants to bring something back in front of the council, they should have the right to do that and bring that up for discussion. So I see that as an absolute waste of time. I am pro people coming in and being able to discuss their points of view. Now, granted, there are times that people take things to the extreme and and, um, abuse that for lack of a better term, but that's the system that we have. You have to take uh, the different points of view. And you sit there and you listen to them, and then you make a determination on which way you're going to go. Well, I think with the extreme, though, it's and so it's on both sides, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, but yeah. it's this overcorrectiveness that we, it's plaguing. Like, we can't, if we disagree, and I'm supposed to hate you, and I'm you don't agree with me, you're not my friend anymore. Like, can we get away from that? Right, right, exactly. I should be able to have a political discussion with you as to where I stand and listen to where you stand. And then you and I can go out and grab a coffee afterwards. It should not become personal and a personal attack. Unfortunately, not everybody practices that. Well, everybody hates a blogger. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my thing is, is I believe points of view should be out there. I also believe, and and this may not be a, a, a popular standpoint, but I believe we truly need the press. I really, truly believe the press is who keeps us honest and or should be keeping us honest. If you're not reporting what I'm doing, and you and I know each other, and I've told you this from day one, as I've told other reporters, if I do something stupid or say something stupid, I expect you to report it. It's just the way it is. And the public has a right to know that. And some background here. You and I have not always agreed eye to eye on a lot of things. We've had some roundabout yeah. thing, but we've always come back to respect. Yes. And okay, cool. Move on to the next thing. Every time. Every time. Where, yeah, we may not agree at the time that what we're talking about, but it has not affected um, the professional relationship. Yeah. And and I believe that more people should take that that uh, that road that other people are entitled to an opinion. I love it when you get the, you're entitled to an opinion as long as you agree with me. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and we see that in politics. As long as we're on the same page, then, hey, everything is great. No, you should have a differing point of view. If, if it is, you should be able to say what that is. What I don't understand, too, because I think it's a strong thing you were defending personal freedoms. Mm-hmm. But you have so many people, and I know I'm, just putting people into a box. So I apologize. 
But why do you want to vote for people that want to take away your personal freedom? I don't understand it. I, I don't get it. I don't understand it either. I believe we need less intrusion from the government. I've always felt that way. Less intrusion from the government. Get out of the way of small business. Get out of the way of people and let them do their thing. Now, I'm not saying, yes, I'm going to support somebody victimizing somebody. And no. There shouldn't, no, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying, the regulation that comes out every time we turn around, let's create a new law for this and a new law for that. It's ridiculous. And I feel, I strongly believe that we as government need to get out of the way of the people and be there to assist them to help them succeed. Well, because also when you, you take away personal freedom, there's all those unintended consequences and that yes. could be like a six hour show. So I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Um, you, you made it, you made a good point about protecting small businesses. Let's go into the Northern waterfront project and okay. job creation because you know, and I said this with Jelani that this has just been a joke the last decade. Mm -hmm. How do you finally get something to start happening with the northern waterfront? So what I want to do once in office is really is sit down with people who have knowledge that I don't and bring everybody to the table with that to understand the different perspectives. And I know this sounds like a very vague answer, but it's not an easy snap your fingers and it's done fix. One of the things you have to consider is the Northern waterfront can't be all development. We have to actually protect the Northern waterfront while developing those areas that can be developed. So you have to work with groups that are community-based to get their perspective of what they want. And then we need to involve each individual community. What do the communities want in their northern waterfront? This has, has been talked about for how many years? Over and over. We hear this northern waterfront, northern waterfront, but we don't see it going anywhere. We have to protect the resource. I am not for just closing up all of our open spaces and the beauty that we have with the environment here. It's funny because it's no secret that uh, I'm in, in real estate also. So when I first came into office, the assumption was, oh, he's just going to be pro-development, pro-development, pro-development. I've worked with groups like Save Mount Diablo and developers at the same time to come to agreements. There was a project that Save Mount Diablo had that they approached me with that I went out and walked the project for almost five hours with them so they could show me what their vision of this was. And then when the developer reached out to me, I met with the developer and we did a very similar thing. Theirs was on maps where we sat down and they showed me their vision. And I worked with both sides on that. And they ultimately together came to an agreement of what would be best not only for the environment, but also for um, continuing development within the community. Why can't we do the same thing on the northern waterfront? That's how it should be with every project. It should be. Absolutely, it but should be. people are too damn afraid to talk. Well, <clears throat> I'm not. And, you know, I've, I've demonstrated that, and I'm going to continue to demonstrate that no matter the, the role that I'm in. No matter what role I'm in, I'm going to sit down with people and say, please give me your perspective. Let's go walk this together. Show me what you're thinking. And that's what I've done. Whether it's meeting with developers or meeting with groups, like I said, uh, you know, Save Mount Diablo, different 
organizations within the community meeting with the veterans. You know, when the veterans, when we talk about, and, and not to jump off this topic, we'll come back to it, but when we talk about housing people, one of the issues the VA approached me with is they couldn't get landlords to sign off on putting people into their homes. Even though they had long-term vouchers that were backed federally, uh-huh. they couldn't get people to sign off on this. I said, send me the contract. I read the contract and went, holy smokes, no wonder landlords aren't signing off on this. So I worked with housing to, I don't want to say rewrite the contract, but to- How about update? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we ended up- um, reworking the contract and the contract now is working very well. And I'm able to work with the VA. It's sitting down with people and saying, what is your vision here? And then finding out where the roadblocks are historically, where have the roadblocks been for that? Is it people that just don't want to do anything with it? Is it government regulation? What, where is that roadblock to help that development? Yeah. Cause I just think the, in terms of development, the Northern Waterfront project opens up a lot of commerce yes, and protective area and water access for recreation that just, man, that missing piece would be a gem and would spur a lot of economic development, help a lot of businesses. Absolutely. Put Contra Costa on the map. Yes. I mean, we don't know what it's going to look like. Right, right. But look what they did in San Francisco with the giant stadium mm-hmm. and what that did. Exactly. Yeah, I, I was driving through there uh, about a month and a half ago, and I remember being there prior to the development of that and look at it now. Why can't we do the same thing here? Yeah, I'm not saying put a sports stadium I understand. There, but yeah. it could be cool. Um, job creation and, and businesses throughout the county. What can the county improve on? So I'm very pro small business and getting government out of the way of small business to allow them. Every time you turn around, there's a new regulation on small business. And when we have small business that is just being strangled, we need to to assist them in any way possible to help them develop. Where do you think the majority of jobs come from? The majority of jobs are going to come from your average or a good amount or your average mom and pop that live and work within the community that want to hire a group of people to help them with the business. And so I'm a small business owner. I've been a small business owner for years and years. I opened my business and started with it in 2005. And that business has evolved today into helping people get off the street that are unhoused. We as a society, unfortunately, feel that just because somebody owns a business, they're rich. That's not the case. Very few small business owners are quote unquote rich individuals. I, I read a stat the other day that, um, God, I wish I knew I, who I could quote on this, but most of the people assume it's a 37% profit margin. Yeah. When yeah. in reality, it's closer to seven. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> it is not a 37% profit margin. That is very true. And for the majority of it. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't those cases that are out there. Well, sure. Sure. There's, I'm saying there's on al- average. Yeah. There's always the outliers that are out there that are, are uh, you know, some astronomical amount. However, your average person that owns a small business gets up every day and goes to work in that business. And, and most of those folks are working long after the staff goes home. And that's by choice. Sure. It is by choice to be a small business owner. 
I am very pro small business and I will continue to work with small business and do everything I can to bring small business in. But here's the thing with small business. Business will not come into a community unless they feel safe. They have to have a place that they can attract their customers and their clients to come in and want to do business. And they have to be able to attract people that want to work in there. So they have to make a, a fair wage and there has to be enough profit built into that business for that to occur. Should government in, get involved with their profit? No, that is what the open market does. But we should be bringing those and, and getting out of the way of small business to bring them in. But we need to provide them a safe community so they can come in and open up, hire people and bring clientele in. Whether you're talking nightlife, whether you're talking you know, a small pet store, whatever it is, we should get out of their way and assist them. Yeah, and, that, and that's where I'm going to go back to Antioch being like the gem that could be mm -hmm. if government gets out of the way. Well, my goal, again, is to bring this to a county level, a much broader level than just one city. Yeah. And so that's my focus, and that's why uh, I, I'm – I'm going after this position is, you know, this position has not been open essentially with, there's been an incumbent in there for, I believe, 24 years. They're in the 24th year right now. And Antioch's been ignored. I mean, let's just be honest. Sorry, federal, but it's true. Antioch's been ignored and, and they're paying for it. So the question is, is do we want to continue with more of the same or do we want change? Do we want somebody that's going to come in there and say, here is what I'm going to do and here is what I've done in the past. Here's my track record. Here's my voting record. Now let's do this at a county level. Yeah. And that's where I think, like, because even right now, the, the rhetoric is on the Amtrak with transportation, right? Mm -hmm. Antioch lost it. It had nothing to do with anything other than Antioch's councils, not this one, but previous councils basically ignoring the downtown. The safety wasn't there. They didn't maintain it. So Amtrak said, hey, Oakley, you're willing? Go for it. So you talk about safety at a county level. I want to make sure that we have a safe environment at a county level. I've spent my lifetime doing this. I worked 21 years in police work. My son works my old beat. My son's a cop. My daughter, my youngest daughter, out of this, she's not in this county. She's in another county. She's a deputy district attorney. And then my oldest daughter is a PA. So we've had public service in our blood. That's the way my kids were raised. That's how I was raised. And that's what I've continued to do. I started in police work in 1985 as a volunteer. 87, I got hired and I worked 21 years retiring there as a lieutenant. My son ended up, when he got out of college, came to me and said, Dad, I'm going to become a cop. And I said, where do you want to be a cop? And he had his heart set on going to Pittsburgh. That's where I retired from. He grew up around that agency. And he works my old beat. And again, my daughter, when she said, Dad, I want to be an attorney. And I said, that's great. Do you want to be a prosecutor? Do you want to be a defense attorney? What do you want to do? She said, I want to prosecute. And that's what she does. You know what? I want to ask you this because your time at Pittsburgh, what's mm -hmm. something that you're very proud of that you worked on and made change on as a cop? Because... I know the Chiefs get a lot of credit for this stuff, but what, what's something that you're proud of that you did? So one of the biggest things that, I, I mean, I, I was proud of my entire career. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 obviously, I, I was. I was proud of my entire career. But 
uh, in the 90s, the chief came to me and said, look, crime is out of control in Pittsburgh. It is absolutely out of control. I need you to create a team and you can have your pick of the list of anybody in the police department that you want to put on this team. And I want you guys to focus on street-level narcotics, street-level drug dealing, street-level prostitution, escort services, any violent crimes, drugs being delivered into the community. Time out. What was the criteria that you picked? So what I wanted was hardworking people that were like-minded. I didn't want somebody that that and and just like in any profession and I love all my brothers and sisters in law enforcement I do however just like in any career you have people that coast to get by and then people that are saying hey I'll do that let me go in and go after that and I'll take care of it I wanted those folks on this team people that were law-abiding didn't have a bunch of internal investigations or any internal investigations against them where they were questionable I wanted honest hard-working people and that's what I got. And it's funny because the one gentleman, and I talked to him this morning, who was my partner in the same car for six years, is still in law enforcement today. And we worked as a, uh, a team, and we focused on everything from street-level drug dealing to people being under the influence to uh Drugs being delivered in the community when they felt they were going to have robberies in a certain area, they would put us in there in plain clothes, waiting for that to occur. Burglaries, the same thing. We had residents that would come pick us up and we would predetermine this when they would have crime occurring late at night in front of their homes. They would come pick us up in their cars, cover us with a blanket sneak us into the house through their garage, like pull in, car pulls in the garage, garage what? goes down. Can they get away with that now? I, I don't know. I'm retired. I, <laughs> That's know. crazy. Yeah. And, and we would get out of the car wow. and we would go in their home and stay <laughs> there all night doing surveillance in the area and then call units in saying, okay, the person in the blue shirt, it, you know, there's uh, a bag of dope in there. So you, you guys know. were like ninjas. Well, <laughs> I don't know that I was in the shape to be a ninja, but, you know, we, we I wanted people that were dedicated to doing that type I mean, you got to have serious trust to be bringing them in like that. Yes. And they had to have trust in us that we were never going to burn them. And to this day, I have never burned any of them and said I was in that house or that house or that house. Never had. Wow. Uh, you know, so we would go out and, uh, and again, working just street level drugs. And then there were times. How big was the team? Uh, the biggest I think we were, were six. Okay. And, um, there were times that we would go out at night and we would wire a car and we would go in and buy drugs undercover. We would buy cocaine or we would buy heroin or we would buy marijuana, whatever it was at the time, marijuana was illegal. Um, but mainly it was cocaine and heroin, uh, street level prostitution, escort services, things like that. And that had a huge impact. As a matter of fact, there's a gentleman who lives in Oakland now that uh, I, I worked with quite a bit on that team. Um, when I say worked with, I arrested him many, many, many times. Hey, buddy. <laughs> and, and he actually got out. He got into a program as a result of the arrest. That was a success for us because it wasn't about putting him in jail. It was about the courts had finally had enough and got him into a rehab program. And he's a counselor in Oakland counseling people off drugs and off the street. Very cool. And... That guy never misses a holiday. He calls me every holiday. My birthday, 
Christmas, New Year's, Thanksgiving, you name it. My, I know my phone is going to ring on that holiday and he's going to say, Hey Mike, it's, you know, so-and-so, uh, happy, you know, happy anniversary, whatever it is, you know, whatever the, the holiday is. And, um, you know, that is very rewarding, but I was on that team and I ran that team for six years. I ended up getting promoted out of that and became a lieutenant after that. But that is probably the, the thing that I am most proud of is working that team. And the fact that when we were done, the chief made a presentation and we had been credited now, granted, there's a lot of men and women at the Pittsburgh Police Department that also were doing hard work, and my hat is off to every one of them, However, most of them. However, we were credited to uh, with lowering the crime rate 23.87%. Wow. And so... It's a hell of a number. It is a huge number. That Once that crime rate came down, then it was more of a maintenance phase. Antioch was in trouble. <laughs> then it was more of a maintenance phase, and that maintenance phase was um, patrol keeping up with things, detectives keeping up with things, and and I don't want to give the impression that we came in and saved the day. I believe anybody well, who part was, of the overall solution. It was part of the overall overall solution, and anybody who wanted to work hard could have could have done that. Um, my partner, a gentleman named Chuck Blazer, he and I were in the same car for six years together. And he's a phenomenal, phenomenal officer. And uh, Chuck and I worked very hard on that team. Chuck actually was new when I took him on the team. And he came in and said, you know, hey, so I was a sergeant at the time. Hey, Sarge, I really want to be on the team. I want to be on the team. And I said, you know, you don't have enough experience yet, enough experience. Well, somebody on the team ended up hurt. And I needed to bring somebody else in. So I said, okay, you're up. You know, you're kind of new, but you're up. Best thing I ever did. Nice. Just a, a fantastic officer. So if you're asking about what I'm most proud of, it was running that, creating the team and running it for six years with a reduction of 23.87%. Um, and that was not me coming up with that number. That was the chief's office coming up with that number because stats come in and they look and they go, okay, where are our burglaries now? Where were they before? And they they compare those numbers. Well, they compared over that time period and the crime rate yeah. was drastically reduced. And, and I think Pittsburgh has a great department right now. I fantastic. think they're doing fantastic yes. work. My only knock on Pittsburgh, and, I, and I've said this multiple times, is You've got guys and ladies in the street doing phenomenal work. Yes. Showcase it. Yes. I cannot get a damn press release. I can't get an email response. I can't get anything from Pittsburgh. And I know they're doing great work because I see the call logs every week. I see the arrest logs. Like, dude, you're doing your community a disservice by not sharing the good arrest and the good work that the women and men of the police department are doing. Say something. You know, the, the funny thing is about that, and I, and I get what you're saying. What happens in police work is, uh, and, and I'll give you an example. When I started running for this office, my campaign came to me and said, did you receive any awards? And I said, yes. Well, can we see the awards? And I showed him the awards. And I said, um, I, I didn't wear any of these ribbons on my uniform working the street. Now, there was one class A photo where we had to wear our ribbons. Um, I didn't wear them on the street. I wasn't there in police work to get 
rewards. It was, I looked at it as, hey, I was just doing my job. And uh, that's what, you know, the, the campaign said, look, we get it. Yeah, you were doing your job, but we need to, you know, we need to talk about what kind of cop you actually were. And it was very uncomfortable for me to do that. It wasn't something that I wore on the street. I didn't wear them on my uniform. I didn't talk about them. My kids really didn't even know. They were in a box and we pulled them out and uh, showed some photos. And my kids were like, dad, what are these? And I said, well, there were awards that I got over the years. I think what you have with a lot of police departments of why they don't showcase what they're actually out there doing is a lot of the good cops look at it and they say, this is my job. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. So police departments in general. But there's a way to do it without a pat is. on the back. And police departments in general need to get better at, and this is not just any police department, I'm talking most police departments, get better at saying, you know what, to the community, here is what we did, good and bad, and, sure. and showing what is good and what is bad. I agree with that. Um, Measure X funding. How mm -hmm. do you feel the county is dispersing the funds right now? Is it pretty good or is there a few pet projects that probably shouldn't be there? So what I want to do uh, with the different audits that I'm looking at. I'm is, sorry to cut you off, but because yeah. the way that I see this, I've, I there's mm -hmm. a board of supervisors and department heads that mm -hmm. have their wants and needs, right? right? They know what's going on. But then you got this committee that's putting out some weird recommendations. So how do you meet in the middle on that? So and that's what, really my question. Yeah. Yeah. And really what I want to do is sit down and look at where every measure X dollar went and what is the outcome of that? And is there a better place that we could spend the money? Not being on that board and making the decision, it's easy for me to come back now and look at a spreadsheet and say, well, I wouldn't have done that or I would have done that or I don't like this. I do like this. I'm okay with this. But being in those meetings and actually holding the conversations and seeing what the end result is, I'm all for fire being supported with Measure X money because let me tell you, if you've ever uh, seen fire and and, and Bro, for that we just matter, had a police, storm. Have you seen Monday, uh, over the weekend? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And and if you look at fire, uh, emergency services, fire, police, medical, those types of things. We have to fund those things. We cannot let those things suffer. In addition to that, we also have to look at health and safety issues that are out there. And where are we using that money regarding health and safety? So I want to sit down and really, and I hate the term because it's so overused, the deep dive term, but I really want to sit down and look at every one of those and talk to people that receive the money and where what was the end result of the the effect of them getting that money and then make decisions moving forward of where I'm going to put my support. I am all for public services that are going to lower, that are going to make the community a safer place for people to live. And I'm all for health services as well, relative to getting people off the street, getting people um, off drugs, helping people with mental health issues, those types of things are all very important to me and have been my entire career. How do you feel about the Keller King and mitigation fund and how that's been dispersed over the last few years under federal Glover? So I, uh, it's the same thing. I want to come in and essentially for lack of a better term, 
I don't want to say wipe the slate clean, but I want to take a very hard look at every dollar that's gone out and is it affecting the area that it was intended to? If you look at the Keller Canyon Mitigation Fund, what was the original intent? Well, you had dance a, classes. Yeah, well, you had a <laughs> a fund that was going back out to the community to mitigate the mitigation fund to mitigate any effects from Keller Canyon. Are we spending the money and donating the money in those places? And if so, what has the benefit been to the community? So w- once we take office and have our our staff in place. These are key things that I really want to sit down and take a look at. What has gone on with housing? $170 million in four years that's been spent for unhoused residents. How is that money being spent? Measure X money. Do I agree with where that money is going and where do I want to put my support for future Measure X? And then Keller Canyon mitigation. So those three things that you've mentioned here today are three top priorities of me once I get in office and looking at those funds and moving forward, where do I want to put my support and where do I want to say, yes, I believe the money should go here or no, maybe we need to pull this back. And now keep in mind for certain criteria, you know, we're talking measure X, it's not one person's decision, but I want to make sure that that money is benefiting the portions of the community that it was intended to. Same thing, Measure X, same thing when we're talking Keller Canyon, all of this, when and especially when we're talking the unhoused resident. When you're th- the looking at the amount of funds that are dedicated to unhoused residents in this community, I want to make sure that we're getting everything that we can out of those funds. In other words, no money wasted. And I think it comes back to preventing the rubber stamping that's somewhat been going on by certain elected officials. I won't name them. Um, final question, and I, and I liked your take on this. I forget when you said it, but nobody that's an elected official can promise you reduced uh, commute time, getting right. to and from places, right. improved roads. Like, What's your thoughts on improving transportation community-wide? So what we need countywide. Be, any elected official that can tell you I can take a bunch of cars off the road um, by waving a wand. How many years have we heard this? Go drive Highway 4 in the morning. Uh, Since no, about 1950. Yeah, and, and drive 4 in the morning or go drive 680 or go drive 580. Obviously, that isn't working like uh, has been promised in certain occasions. So we need to be working with our state and federal electeds to get as much money as we can within Contra Costa County to improve roadways, to improve those commute times. And that couples also with the safe community to bring small business. If people locally can go to work where they live, we get cars off the road. It all runs hand in hand. You need a safe community. You need to work with your state and federal officials to make sure that you have the transportation money coming into the county. You need to make sure that you're supporting small business and bringing business into into the area to allow people to go to work where they live when possible. I couldn't agree more. And and I would hope one promise would be no more potholes on Bailey. Yeah. I mean, I've had my car out of alignment on one Mm -hmm. pothole and then hit another one and I'm back in an alignment. I drove it the other day. (laughs) 
And I... Uh, Did you hit the one really big pothole, like, I, coming down the hill? I, oh well, God. let's put it this way. I drove it the other day, and I was coming from Concord, coming into Pittsburgh. And you can tell the area where you go from a county-maintained road to a city-maintained road. <laughs> you can you can truly tell the difference. And it goes back and forth. It does go back and forth. And so I, we were on a rough portion of the road, and all of a sudden it smoothed out. And my wife said, what happened? And I said, we just changed from one to the other. So I want to make sure. Now, again, yes, it's, it's a big county. Uh, it is. It's a big county, and we need to make sure that we're putting those funds where they need to be. But that's a prime example. <laughs> um, let's close this out. Why yeah. are you the best candidate in this race for Contra Costa County? So uh, I'm the best candidate for this race for District 5 County Supervisor for several reasons. Number one, I own a small business. I understand small business. I understand government getting out of the way. I understand police work. I've been involved in police work my entire life. I understand safe communities. I ran a street-level narcotics team, street-level crime team, where we drastically, drastically reduced crime within, within the city of Pittsburgh. And they're still realizing that today. So I'm very, very proud of that. I've got the experience of being able to partner with people as an elected official, people that they said, you'll never be able to partner with that person and get a vote out of that person. And I was able to do it. So these are the types of things, understanding homelessness and unhoused residents, 569 people that today, last night, in this terrible storm that we just had, were off the street living in these homes, not funded locally. These were funded by federal money. The federal monies that came out from the VA, from HUD, understanding the landlord's perspective because I work with landlords every single day. These are the types of things with experience that I've done over the last 30 plus years that I'm bringing to the Board of Supervisors. My thing is, let's deal with the unhoused resident homeless crisis that we're having. Let's look at public safety. That has to be a priority. People have to feel safe. Preserving parks and open land, working with groups like Save Mount Diablo and dealing with the blight. And the city of Antioch, I pushed for, and, and I, I'll be honest, I've, I was thinking, well, maybe I'll get two or three extra code enforcement officers. I doubled the size. I pushed for it and doubled the size of code enforcement. So those are the types of things when we drive down the street and we see piles of trash and we drive down the street and we see encampments, these are the things that we need to work on. And when you, every step of the way, hear, oh, so-and-so was robbed or this house was broken into or we have these sideshows, we have to have a board of supervisors that takes homelessness and especially public safety very, very seriously. And if they don't, we're just going to have more of the same. Yeah, that, that's where I think you and Ken could really do some damage in a good way. Yeah. And even Candace Anderson, because, yeah. I mean, she finally came out. God, it was last year when Alamo and Danville were having all those burglaries. She's like, dude, Mr. Sheriff, what's going on? And she publicly like, let's get some results. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, we need that. Right. When all of your law enforcement agencies are are 
stepping up saying, we want this guy. This is the guy that understands it. When the Deputy Sheriff's Association endorses me, Concord PD, I'm talking POAs, not, not the municipality, but the POA, yeah. Police Officers Association. So the DSA, Deputy Sheriff's Association, along with that came all the dispatchers, all of probation, all the deputies themselves, Concord PD, their POA, Richmond PD, their POA, Pittsburgh PD. I'm running against two people <laughs> that are in Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh's POA came out and endorsed me. Last night, Clayton PD contacted me, and then I've got the retired police chiefs, Chief Addington, Chief uh, Ramon, uh, Chief Baker, all of these retired chiefs that have come out and said, this is the person that we need to get in office, and the sheriff himself coming out and endorsing me, saying, this person has my support. Where's he been hiding? <laughs> you would have to call him. I don't know. <laughs> I call him and he answers. I don't know. <laughs> Does he not answer when you call? Oh, no, I'm just being oh, a smart okay. ass. I'm being a smart ass because it's like yeah. you don't ever hear from the guy anymore. I, he answers when I call him, you know, and, <laughs> and he calls me and I answer the phone. But he has come out and endorsed me, and and I appreciate his support. I truly, truly do. Um, I know he's a busy man, and he's every time I turn around, he's at – you know, working on some project or some function. And I appreciate him taking those calls, but the sheriff for the entire County coming out and endorsing me is huge. Sure. No, I, I think it's great. I, I think you, you would do a good job. Um, Thank you. You know, it's going to be a tight race. Mm -hmm. I, I think people have a lot to think about. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I'm just at the point where I want people elected that will not tell me how to live and what to do and put me in a box. Yeah. And I can't say the same for some of your other opponents, but I, I think you've done a pretty good job in Antioch considering <laughs> what you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. um, you're on the wrong side of a lot of the votes just because of the belief system that those three other people have that have done some pretty stupid policies. But you fought like hell, so I think people have to respect that. We don't always have to agree, but at least you've busted your ass to try and do the right thing. I appreciate it. I'm pro-public safety, pro-law enforcement, and I'm never going to apologize for that. Are there cops out there that don't need to be out there? Absolutely, and we need to deal with those cops and get them off the street. I spent my career doing that, rewarding the cops that were out there working and working with those officers, and when we had bad cops, getting them off the street and prosecuting them, and I have a track record of doing that, and I'll continue to do that. And so how can people get in touch with you? So uh, my website is mikebarbanica.com. My Gmail is mikebarbanica at gmail.com. And feel free to reach out to me at any time. Would love to hear from anybody in the public. Uh, I'm, I'm, the closer we get to election time, obviously my calendar is, is stacking up. So sometimes it's a phone call from me calling them back and having a conversation with them. And then sometimes it's actually sitting down and grabbing a quick cup of coffee with them or a lunch or whatever and meeting and, and hearing what they're all about. But I want to hear from people that are out there in the public as to what they're looking for and what they want, because I don't have all the answers. What I want to do is rely on people that are around me, as I always have done, to say, hey, here's the direction I want to go. Tell me, where am I missing the boat? Convince me otherwise. Well, with that, I appreciate your time. And Thank uh, you. I wish you luck. Good luck in Antioch. Thank you. And uh, for everyone else, do me a favor, hit like, subscribe, and share. Visit the news at contracosta.news. I will see you next time. Take care.